Man, is today a good day? Today's a good day. Why don't you open up your Bibles? Let's get into more good information. Here we go. First John chapter three, verse 13. If you want to turn there, if you need a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. We are in part nine of our community on mission series, and I entitled today's message, The Real Deal. And I want to remind you, this series is a reminder to us that we're in this together. All of us collectively, we read the Bible and think about our faith far too individualistically, right? Oh, it's my walk with Jesus. That's between him and me. Yes, some of it is. But a lot of it is designed for us to do it together. I'm not quite sure we're getting that whole idea. We need to do some things together. God brought healing upon our church when we were together laying hands upon one another. All those people had prayed for healing all by themselves and the breakthrough didn't come. But when we got together, there was breakthrough. Why? I believe that God honors unity. I believe that God designed a system where we need each other. I think being together is the point. And I think we need to grow in this area. Well, I'll tell you what, for this message, God is a God who shows his love by actions. Amen. He loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. You see, when God loves, he does stuff. He is an active, loving God. Unfortunately, I believe that the church has changed over the years. And in some ways, it's been beautiful. In some ways, not so much. You see, the Bible that I read in the Gospels and the Bible that I read in the book of Acts and forward I'm not seeing the same thing happening in the church today. And we need to answer for that. Why is that? Now, I have a variety of thoughts on the implications of that. As a matter of fact, especially in the area of how it impacts men. Gentlemen, church has been difficult for some of you to attend. And I have a lot of reasons why I think that is. Now, I don't want to take our time here. There's too much data that I have to pour out. So I'm going to be posting later today. I'm going to wait till the end of our two more services. And I'm going to be posting on Facebook. And it's going to be my public page. So in case you are not on there, it's just Pastor Lance Hahn. Search that out. If there's a a green background behind me, you know you're on the right one. And I'm going to post out there on the implications of how our church has changed, especially how it impacts men. If that's something interesting to you, make sure to look for that a little later today. But what I want to just simply say is this, that today's modern-day American Christianity is now defined by the following, observing and receiving information. We come to church like this, and we observe and we receive information. Talking about personal things and sorting our lives, is that good? It's very good. But that's kind of a lot of what Christianity is about. Think of what we do in small groups. Think of what we do in classes. It's about reading a book, the Bible, and understanding it more, right? And it's about singing together, worshiping. Okay, are any of those things bad? They are not. But if you'll notice, very few of those things are active. Most of them are passive, We tend to talk a lot and think a lot, but we don't tend to do a lot. What are we doing as Christians? 
I need to ask you, what is your life doing out there? If I said, I'm only going to analyze your spiritual maturity by what you do, not what you think, not what you talk about, not what you know. If we're only going to analyze what you do, what am I going to assess your spiritual growth as? Right? Why? Because we're not tracking and following God's active loving way. What do I mean? The father loved us so much that he sent his one and only son. The son loved us so much that he gave his life for us. The Holy Spirit loves us so much. He indwelt us, shields us and empowers us, right? When God loves, he does stuff. The life of Christ was characterized by action. For example, he preached the gospel. He brought sight to the blind. He brought hearing to the deaf. He brought movement to the lame. He cast demons from the bound. He fed thousands through miracles. He stood up to the bad leadership of his nation. He led by action and example. What are we doing today? This is something we must answer for. There is no place this must be more true than in the area of love. When God loves, he does something about it. What are you doing about the love in your heart for other people in this world? The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Christian love is tangible. Christian love is tangible. If you haven't already, turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, verse 13. We're going to take it line by line, pick up a couple things here, see what the Holy Spirit has for us today. It begins like this. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. Well, thank you, Pastor John. That was encouraging. I'm going to write that one down. Don't be surprised. Don't be caught off guard when the world hates you. Now, when I say the world, and when any of us as pastors up here say the world, are we all clear that we don't mean everybody's against the church and it's us against the world? I mean, that's not the point. It means that which is contrary to God. Whether it's an idea or a paradigm, whether or not it's an institution, whether or not it's an attitude, anything that is anti-God, that would be defined as the world. Well, a lot of people have bought into that stuff. And they don't like Christians at all. Why? Well, there's a whole bunch of reasons. But the main reason is that we have competing values. Yeah? We have competing values with the world. Well, what do I mean? Here's some examples. Christianity is about humility. The world is about self-promotion. Right? There's no MTV videos about humility. Right? It's all about self-promotion. I'm awesome. You should check me out. I can do anything I want. Right? That's how it works. World Christianity. Christianity is about deferring reward. The world is about instant gratification. Christianity is about serving. The world is about being served. Christianity is about obedience. The world is about answering to no one. Christianity is about faithfulness. The world is about jumping to the next best thing. 
Christianity is about justice for all. The world is about what works best for me. Christianity is about losing your life to gain it. The world is about gaining your life so you never have to lose it. Y'all following me? Okay, when you have such competing values, we are an irritant. We are a consistent reminder and buzzkill to the world. When they get done with their video going, hey, do you realize I'm the richest person? And then blah, blah, blah. What is a Christian going to say? So? I don't care. What do you mean you don't care? I don't think you understand how important I am. Ah, no, it's just that I don't care. No, I hear you. I just don't care. Well, you don't understand. I can get any girl I want. Well, see, in my world, that's called yucky. (laughs) Well, I don't think you understand. I got this kind of car and this kind of car. Oh, so you're talking about more stuff that burns up. Whatever, dude. I'm just not with you. Okay, and then you think that's not going to ruin his whole day? Well, fine, I'm going to go hang out with people that actually appreciate me. Okay, but do you understand why Christians were going, listen, that's not what I'm into. And I'll tell you who my heroes are. My heroes are the the men and women that ran into the Twin Towers. You want to talk about sacrifice? Let's talk about that. You see, my heroes are the the ones like Mother Teresa that hangs out with the, the down and out You see, those are the people that impress me. You want to do a video of that? Great, I'm all in. You know what impresses me? Is Jesus sacrificing his life so that we might live. That's impressive to me. Your dollar signs? Don't care. Your bling? Just irritating. You understand what I'm saying? So we have competing values and it ends up making them get agitated by going, why do you always got to be like that? What is always about this? And you know what? You're just weird. Now, this is where many Christians default into a statement that says, well, they hated Jesus too, right? I mean, isn't that where we kind of fall back to? Oh, they hated me. Well, they hated Jesus too, and he's cool, and right? I mean, we stay there. Here's my concern for you, if you use that phrase. Just make sure they're hating Jesus and hating you for the same reasons, right? Because the church isn't always being hated for the right reasons. Let me give you an example. They hated Jesus because he stood up to the bullies. The world hates us because we tend to be the bullies. They hated Jesus because he was for tax collectors and sinners. You see, the world hates us because we're against tax collectors and sinners. They hated Jesus because he wasn't religious enough. They hate the world, that church, the world hates the church because we're too religious. Just make sure that they're hating us for the same reasons they hate Jesus. If, for example, you go to university and they make fun of you for believing in an afterlife, they said, you have no proof of that, you're a fool. I want you to wear that with a badge of honor because you said, you know what? You can't prove there's not. And if we're going to talk about who we're going to trust, I have someone who has gone before me that I trust more than you. And he said that I have gone to prepare a place for you. And one day I will take you to be with me. Oh, I believe my Jesus is coming back. And I believe that he has prepared a beautiful place for me. So I believe that I'm going from glory to glory. If you call me a fool, so be it. I'm all right with that. You understand what I'm saying? That's a great reason. 
That's a great reason. But if they just hate you because you're mean and nasty, that's not why they hated Jesus. Ah, let's keep it clear. All right, go to verse 14. Hurry up and get out of that area. (laughs) Verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life, meaning we are true Christians, that we have truly been regenerated or born again. Because, what's the proof? We love the brothers. Whoever does not love still lives in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Okay, what did he just say? He said this, true love is evidence of a transformed heart and life. True love. If we're going to analyze whether or not you're legit saved, I'm going to check your love level. I'm not going to check your information. Pharisees knew more than disciples. I'm not going to check the areas of your righteousness because there's a lot of people in the world that live more moral lives than you and I do. What am I going to check? Your love level. I'm going to check your motivations. I'm going to check your intentions. I'm going to check how actively and deeply you truly love the people of this world. If there is nothing coming out of that, if there is no love for even the people you hate, then I'm going to question whether or not true regeneration has ever occurred. Why? Because the way that Christianity works is that when you are saved, God pours down so much love and affirmation and forgiveness and cleansing and gifts and anointing and power that you are so full that it's easy to give it out. If you're scooping on empty, you may not have felt the love of God flow into you yet. We're going to talk about that at the end of our message. But here's what's interesting. He said, if you hate other people, you're as good of a murder as a murderer. Now, how is that true? Right? I would much rather have you hate me than murder me, right? I think they're not the same thing. So what does he mean? Well, here's what's interesting. The difference between hatred and murder is you can't commit. What do I mean? You're too much of a wimp to pull the trigger. That's what I mean. Because if you truly hate someone, it means you wish they were gone. It means that you wish they come to a bad end. It means that you want them wiped off the face of the earth, but you are too scared to carry it out. Oh, your heart's the same as a murderer. The only difference is commitment level. So just because we haven't done anything outwardly does not mean that we're clean. You see, Jesus said, I'm going to equate your intentions, your motivations, your heart with your actions. I'm going to check both, right? Here's what he said in verse 16. By this evidence, we know what true love is, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. Therefore, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We're not going to die on the cross for each other, right? I mean, that doesn't even make any sense. So I'll ask you the question. What does it look like for you to die for other people? Because that's what he just said. That's what you and I need to be doing. 
So how are you doing that? Because your context is different than my context. So how are you taking up your cross daily and dying for other people? I understand we always want to make it unique to us, right? Well, I'm dying to myself. I'm giving up things. I'm learning about the Lord. No, 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 no. That's good. We're not talking about that right now. How are you laying down your life for other people actively on a daily basis? That's the command. So what are you doing? Now, I don't know what it looks like for you. So let's say for me, the way that I would say it practically works out is that for me, time is a big deal right? I live a busy life. I got a lot of stuff going on. So time is important to me. And the older I get and the longer I've been in ministry, the more introverted I've become, right? Because at some point I'm like, I'm burned out. I'm going to go do my thing, right? So for me to carve out time to help someone else is dying to self and saying, self, you're on the back burner. And this person is now very important. So it's not about you, Lance. It's about them. And I can look them in the eye and give them all my attention. To me, that's dying to self. Maybe for you, it's money. When you take some of what you think is all yours and you want to buy this item to make you feel better and you say, no, I will deny myself, put myself on the back burner and I will take this same money and go bless someone else that's dying to self. Maybe for you, you're insecure and you need constant verbal affirmation for other people to tell you that you're okay. So you have a hard time complimenting others because when you raise up other people, it makes you feel lower. So you decide as a Christian, it can't be about me. I'm going to go around all day long and compliment other people and lift them up because I need to die to myself. Y'all following? You see, I think there's practical ways to do this. I'm just asking you, if this is our biblical mandate, how are you doing it? How are you dying to yourself so that others might live? Ah, that's tough, yeah? Look at verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need, yet closes his heart against him, How in the world does God's love live in them? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Y'all, it's time to stop thinking nice things and talking about nice things, and it's time to do nice things. Yeah? See, now, I want to be very clear and honest with you. You know I'm very high on boundaries, right? I don't believe that merely just being a doormat or giving away and giving away is helpful. I actually don't think that's wise. So if you come up to a guy who's totally lit and he's like, hey, you got any money? It doesn't automatically mean that the best way to love him is to give him cash so he can go get lit again. Because I don't believe that that is loving. But here's what's interesting. For most of us, we then say, well, then I'm out of the situation. Incorrect. The best way to love him would not be cash. It may well be attention and time. Maybe one of the reasons he has to consistently get lit is because inside he's super lonely. But we say, well, I don't have money. I don't want to give that to you because that's just going to enable you. And we play this little game in our head and we walk away. But you do have the answer. 
When's the last time you said, I don't have that, but what I have, I give you. And you sit down and you say, what is going on with you and how can I pray for you? Do you understand what I mean? It is not an excuse to then go, well, I can't do that. That would be enabling. Okay, then do what you can. What can you do? How can you lay down your life for that man? That is our mandate. If you have it and you're not sharing it, what's going on? What's the selfishness all about? Ah, that's a tough one. Here's what it says, verse 19. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth, meaning that we're true Christians, and then we can reassure our heart before God. For whenever our heart condemns us, or we start going, oh, I'm never good enough, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. He knows all those intentions that you want to do good. He knows the things that you did that no one saw. Beloved, if our heart doesn't condemn us, all right, we have confidence before God that whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Wait, let me read that last line again because this is something that you're going to say, I don't see that as a reality in my life. You ready? If our heart does not condemn us, meaning if we're clear, we have confidence before God that whatever we ask in prayer, we will receive from him. Why? Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, for some of us, we're going to read that and we're going to say, wait, did he just say that I'd get more answers to prayer if I did more right things? Because he kept his commandments. Oh, shoot then that means that one time I prayed for my little brother who was sick and he got worse and worse and God didn't answer my prayer. That's because I didn't do good enough stuff. I dropped the ball. Be very careful on that line of reasoning because that's not what he said. But boy, it sure looks like it, doesn't it? If you keep my commands, I'll give you anything that you want in prayer. You are got a bunch of sin in your life. I'm not listening to you. Isn't that what we hear? But you didn't read the next line. He clarifies. Ah, look at the next line. It says this. And this is the commandments I'm asking you to keep. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just like he did. Oops. What does all of Christianity boil down to? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. There you go. I mean, we can make it super complicated. It's not. Love God, love people. That's it. So this whole thing about, well, I didn't do enough good things and I don't have enough righteousness and I don't... Hold up. You only have any righteousness because Jesus Christ gave it to you. This whole game of I didn't do enough good things to get my prayers answered and I didn't... No. Do you know God? Do you have a relationship where you are unionized with Jesus Christ so that the resources of heaven flow down into your account? That's what he asked you. The commandment is to believe in the name of the Son of God. Believing in the name doesn't mean, yeah, I believe he had a name. It means I believe in his character and nature. 
I believe that when Jesus says he's the Messiah, he's the Messiah. I believe when he says he will rescue me, he will rescue me. And I'm going to change my whole life because of it. I believe that when he says that I'm going to go home and be with him, I'm going to live with my future glorious. I believe that whatever he does and whatever he says is legit and right. And I'm going to live that way. That's what it is. Amen. That's believing in the name of Jesus Christ. But that has to result in a change of action towards other people. Yeah? Because if we say that that has occurred, but we're still just as dry of love for people, there's a mismatch. Something's not right. It says this, And this is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, And love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments, whoever does those things, lives in God and God lives in him. And by this, this is another proof, we know that he lives in us by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. The presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is legitimacy and proof that you're saved. Okay. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? Here's how we're going to close out. There's a special group I would like to come forward for prayer. Now, remember, the altar is open for any needs that you have. Remember, you are in a healing environment. We're in God's house. At any moment, the Holy Spirit can breathe upon you and you can be instantly healed. That is a fact. Will it happen today? I don't know. Are you talking to him about it? Sometimes we do not have because we do not ask. Sometimes God's waiting for a couple things to fall in place. And today might be that day. So the altar is always open for whatever you have. But I have a special group I would like to come forward. And that is, if you struggle loving people, not a particular person, you're like, well, yeah, I don't like them because they're a right you know i mean i hear you that's a forgiveness issue okay that's not a loving problem if you struggle loving people in general you just go you know what pastor every time i try to dig in there i don't have a lot of fruit of the spirit the love joy peace patience every time i try to scoop in there everybody just irritates me i just everyone is getting in my way if that's you I need you to come up for prayer because it is the very core of Christianity that you're wrestling with. You see, the first thing I'm going to ask our prayer team to do for you, if that is you, and all you need to do when you walk up to them is say, I need prayer for learning how to love. Here's what I'm going to ask my prayer team to do. First thing they're going to do is say, Heavenly Father, would you open up heaven and pour down your love into their heart to overflowing? God, would you soak in and saturate so that even the driest of desert would be soaked up like a sponge with your love? That God, that you would give them such a reservoir that scooping it out and handing it to other people would be the easiest, most natural thing in the world. God, would you break down the hardness of our heart and allow us to just lavishly love again? Oh, God, bring restoration to our heart. That's what our team is going to pray for you. Yeah? So if you need that today, 
our altar is open. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, for your kindness. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your healing and your freedom that you bring. So we are asking right now that you would anoint this altar, that, Lord, that we could come up here and receive breakthrough. That, God, there are some of us that we have not felt your love truly, and we can't seem to love anybody else. So, Lord, we are asking that you would break down and dig into that which is hard in us and make it right. Lord Jesus, cover my friends and family here. Father, begin to just pour out your loving kindness all over them. That each and every one of them would leave here feeling built up, challenged but rich in you feeling that they are ready to go out and take on the world, that they're ready to go love actively and passionately. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful weekend.